this first week, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're going to get a lot of, um, we're going to get a lot of academic stuff out of the way. Um, I don't mean out of the way like, hey, we need to hurry past this, but, but get it where that you kind of understand a little bit about why the Gospel of John is a little different than the other three Gospels. And, um, and then we're going to work through some of that. So let's pray so that we can dive into some of this stuff. And then, boy, I tell you, over the coming weeks, we're going to see some great, great stuff as well out of, out of this book. So let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. I, I thank you for some of these beautiful days we've been having lately. And, um, and God, even the opportunity to be able to share with some of my friends up north about how warm it is. And um, help my spirit in my attitude of doing that. But, but I still enjoyed it. And uh, so, God, we just thank you. We thank you for the beauty of the world around us. We thank you for the moment we can walk out. And I, maybe I learned something from our dog sometimes. Maybe I learned something from, from her yesterday with her escapade with Alexis and not wanting to come inside. Because all she wanted to do was just be in the light of the sun and just lay down and rest. And God, it just dawned on me thinking about that after the fact that, wow. Sometimes I, I really need to be like that. I just don't want to be, be able to get into your presence where that you're shining on me and just be still and rest and enjoy being in the light of the sun. So, Father, I pray today that you help us as we start on the gospel according to John, that you let us see and understand some things that you want us to grasp out of this and that we will, we will be able to take this, apply it into our lives, but also use it with others. And I want to give you all the praise and all the glory for you alone are worthy. I pray and believe these things in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ, and the church together said, Amen. Uh, real quickly, I want to share something with you. I actually got this on the way uh, to church, and so it was not part of my notes, but I just want to share something with you that always is encouraging. I responded back to this person and told them how much of an encouragement this actually was to me. And um, I want to read this uh, Facebook message that I got sent to me. It said, good morning. This was at 726 this morning. It said, good morning, Mr. Nathan. I'm one of your Facebook friends. That's, you kind of have to be to send me a message. And, you know, but anyway, yeah, it was awesome. I'm one of your Facebook friends. As if, honestly, as if I would not remember this person because she is such a smiler and is such an, an awesome personality. I haven't been able to spend a lot of time around her, but we have some folks in here that do. And, and I mean, she's just, she lights up a room, all right? But she says, uh, I was in Walmart two weeks ago, and this young lady was in talks to a young man. She was telling him about something she experienced in your church just by visiting. She told him that, that she wasn't a member, but she will be coming back again. This guy told her, well, I need a church home. And when I hear this, it just delighted my heart. Why? Is because we all had the opportunity to worship together at the Youth for Christ rally. I just wanted to share that with you. Have a great day. I was, and I, I sent back and I said, you made my day. Said, that's the kind of stuff, you know, that's exciting. I always tell you guys, and I think this is so important because, um, Different places, different churches, or different ways. I always tell you, I find it to be the most exciting thing when what people talk about is not really, it's not about our music, it's not about the preaching, it's not those things. People talk about the church. They talk about the people. 
That's what's important because we are the body of Christ. We're not something that has a preacher. We're not something that has a band, right? We're a body. We're a body of believers. That's why it's exciting that people get saved in somebody's house, you know, on that long weekend, Dennis. <laughs> good stuff. The gospel according to John. So we're going to dive into uh, to this idea of John and, and the story of Christ. The story of Christ is seen in the four gospels, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's your first uh, four books out of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. And synoptic essentially means to see together with a common view. All right? They're synoptic because that they express a lot of the same things. Um, John's a little different, but, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they recount a lot of the same stories. Um, and and they, one, one of the books has like 90% of what's in another book. One of the other ones has like 50% of what's in the other book. And they have very similar stories. It's just... They give a little different perspective. Now, a lot of people get hung up about the fact that they will read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and when they see the same story told in different Gospels, they get a little hung up about the fact that there seems to be some differences in them. I want to help you out with, if you run into that challenge or somebody's saying, oh, there's, there's some errancy in in the stories about Jesus in the Gospels, I want to give you a great illustration of how you can respond to that and maybe help you think through this as well. Have you ever seen uh, maybe a traffic accident happen? You can, you can give me some vocal feedback, I promise. Yes? All right. So if you haven't seen a, a traffic accident happen and you were in high school, have you ever seen a fight? <laughs> I didn't ask, were you in it? <laughs> Just because you might have seen it up close and personal, but... Have you ever seen a fight? Um, have you ever seen an argument between some people? All right, where you saw it. You, okay, so if, if you've been involved in any of those things, and I, I apologize that those are all three negative references, but that's the ones that usually kind of pique our interest for whatever reason. Have you ever noticed that if you and a couple of other people talked about what you saw, you tell different things? Now, it's not that you're saying, well, no, that didn't happen, or no, that didn't happen, but because everyone's maybe at a little different vantage point, that everybody has a little bit different perspective, you were focused on something different than what someone else was. So you might have been watching the, the car that got hit. Maybe that was on your side of the road. The other person was sitting somewhere else, and they saw the car that ran the, the stop sign and hit the car. You didn't really see it, so if somebody started talking about, oh yeah, I could see that person was on their cell phone, and they ran that light, and, and man, I saw them throw on their brakes, you'd be going, I didn't see any of that. I was, I, we were driving, I kind of glanced over here, and then all of a sudden when I look back, I see, boom, I see that car hit that car. Now, is there anything that's errant about that when you tell your version of the accident that you don't talk about the car running the stop sign because you didn't see it, Right? It didn't make your version of the story be incorrect. It's just you saw this, and that's what you were focused on. The other person might not have even noticed this. They were going, oh my goodness, I don't think that person's going to stop for that stop sign. And they were really focused on that, and they start honking their horn or whatever, and, they're, and they're, whoop, boom, they saw something totally different. They might not have even seen you. 
But when, when the investigators get there and they begin to take all of the, the perspectives and all of the, the eyewitness accounts, you end up with a total perspective because everyone talks about what they saw. Everyone talks about what they were looking at, what they were thinking about. They had glanced away. They'd done all these things. That's a little bit of what the synoptic gospels are when, when you see some of the same story, but you don't necessarily see some of the same information. They don't contradict each other in a sense, but they, they provide a full perspective of what was going on in these situations with, with Christ. So that's where they have, they address a lot of the same things, so they have that common view. All of the parables of Christ are found in the synoptic gospels. There are zero parables in the gospel of John. John doesn't deal with parables. He doesn't deal with any of those stories. Doesn't mean he didn't see them. Doesn't mean he didn't hear them. He didn't see Jesus do it. For whatever reason, God did not inspire him to deal with writing the parables again. So all of the parables are contained in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. None of them are found in John. And there's some differences in how Christ is portrayed in the three synoptic gospels. The synoptists describe Christ in his three of several offices. Number one, Matthew focuses mainly on Christ uh, as being king. That's, that's his primary focus. It's not the only focus that you see in Matthew, but it is his primary focus. He talks about Christ's office as king. Mark focuses on Christ especially as man. So we begin to see him in the form of coming and being one of us. Luke, the doctor, actually writes about him, especially in the form of priest and also his victim. That would make a lot of sense for a guy who's a doctor. When he deals with all of the, you know, the beating and everything that Christ portrayed, that, think about it, that would catch his attention. I'll give you a, I'll give you a prime example. You take Caleb, or you take Dennis, and you take me, I was thinking about when I was Caleb's age, if you take Dennis and you take me when I was Caleb's age, and we see a car go by, and it's got a really loud radio in it, I can guarantee you there's two different things that we focused on. Dennis, is fo he'll think about the mechanics of that car, and hey, you know, man, it's got a rattle over there, and you know, and so on this or whatever. Me, when I was Caleb's age, I was going, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, because <laughs> I was, I had one of those base cannons in the back of my little Volkswagen. I think it would almost make my Volkswagen skip when, you know, if it hit hard, because that song, hit hard, hit harder, hit hard. I shouldn't know that song, but I was a little wild back then, Jason, just being honest. I was saying it's interesting how God uses the personality of the person. God takes and calls them in and uses them, and even though he inspires them, he divinely inspires these guys to write the books that they do that end up in the Bible. He doesn't make them totally abandon their personality and the things that he had built them to do. So it's not uh, un anything unusual. And in fact, it's kind of encouraging to me that Luke focuses on Christ as priest and victim because it fit with who Luke was. God will use you. And he'll change a lot of things about you. But he has put some core stuff in you and your personality and the passions and things that you have. And God will use that because he built you. He made you. That, that was free. John speaks more about Christ's divine nature and his heavenly nature. So there's where you're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You get king, you get man, you get priest and victim, and then you basically get God. John focuses on Christ as being part of God. 
Matthew, when in writing his gospel, the main focus for him, his audience, was a Jewish audience. Mark, however, got the Roman audience, and then Luke gets a broader Gentile audience, so the Romans fall into that, into that Gentile spectrum. But it was very focused for, for Mark. Luke got into that broader Gentile audience. And then we see that, that John just writes about who Christ is. It can go to everybody and anybody and Jewish, Gentile, whatever, because he is proclaiming who Jesus is. That's such good stuff. Well, what about comparing John to some of his other contemporaries, particularly, say, for instance, Paul, who wrote the vast majority of the New Testament when we get outside of the Gospels? Well, Paul used a lot of these type of words. Paul used words like sin, grace, righteousness, election, redemption, faith, reconciliation, salvation, and the day of Christ. By comparison, John used words like life and death. Notice he does a lot of comparisons. Life and death, light and darkness, love and hatred, truth and a lie, the Son of God and the wicked one. I like it because a lot of John's stuff is compare and contrast. Let me show you this and then show you the opposite. Let me talk to you about light. Let me talk to you about darkness. Let me talk to you about life, death, love, hatred, truth, a lie, Son of God, and the wicked one. I was reading this statement um, by Dr. Schaff. He said, In John, the basis of enthusiasm or devotion to Christ was not an inexhaustible impulse to do. It wasn't about doing but it was a deep, wandering celebration of the perfection of Christ. The fundamental characteristic of Peter was energetic heart, that of John reposing heartiness. Made me think about Molly the other day. Uh, Alexis, uh, yesterday morning, we were, we were getting ready to go somewhere, and, and, uh, and Molly, has she's been wanting to dart out the door. I think she's got as much cabin fever as anybody else has. And... And so she darts out, and she gets almost to the road, and then she just does the boom. The flop just lays down in the yard. And, and I hear Alexis, Molly, Molly, come on. Come on, girl. Come on. You know, you come on in. Come on. You know, and, 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 I, and I step over to the door, and I'm looking, you know, and Alexis standing here in the door trying to get Molly's just laying out there like, no, no. She is relaxed. The sun is shining. She's laying in the yard. She's not interested in going anywhere. And, uh, and Alexis finally had to go get a treat in order to get her to come in. She was like, I'm not coming in. I'm out here in this sun. That's kind of what Dr. Schaff is talking about here. He's how, how with Peter, you know, Peter was all about, let's do, let's do, let's do, let's go. Come on, let's go. Get your motor running. On the gospel highway, looking for adventure, and whatever comes our way. That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> Lucy's like, Lord, help him. <laughs> that was Peter, though. Peter, was he was all, you know, let's go, let's go, let's go. John is sitting there going, hey, you can rest in who Christ is and find strength. There's some times where you need that. There's really some times where, hey, it's exciting to get up and go and be fired up and, you know, get fired up now. Get fired up. 
I got no help out of that row right there. No help. I looked right to the row hoping somebody was going to help me out, you know. With... That's what's important. So when was this, when was this written? Um, there's a lot of debate that goes on a lot of times about when different books were written. This one in particular, they tracked through some, some different uh, occurrences, things that happened uh, and that are referenced in the Gospel of John. And so there's a little bit of time frame here, but most, not all, but, but most scholars uh, agree that they feel it was written somewhere around A.D. 90 to 100, somewhere in that, that general ballpark. By the way, this is, um, that picture is of some ruins that were um, uncovered at the location, because there's also a little bit of debate about where in Asia or Asia Minor this, this book was written, where, where John was when he wrote this generally believed that he was at Ephesus. And um, so that's actually some ruins that were uncovered there in Ephesus that you can still, you can go and, uh, and see today. What was the purpose behind it being written? John actually tells us. John in chapter 20 of this book actually tells us why that God inspired him to write this book. And here's what he says. He's speaking about, there's all, right before this, he says there's all kind of other things that could have been written. And if all that stuff was written, you know, there's not enough books to contain all of this. But, but he says, but, but these things are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. Man, that's good. There's a lot of different things in various books and reasons why that God had those to be written and put into the Bible. But man, it's pretty powerful when he says, God inspired me to write these things about Christ so that you can believe that He is the Messiah. You can believe that He is the Son of God. And by believing that, that you may have life in His name. I wish, I, I honestly, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little jealous of John in a sense, because I wish that I could say that, man, God inspired me to write something, <laughs> or to, you know, to, to, to pen something, that the sole purpose behind why it was, was written was so that you could know that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and it be, you know, thousands of years later, and people be reading that going, this I'm reading and seeing and knowing that Jesus is God and I can believe in Him and I can have life in Him because of it. Man, that is, that is powerful. But here's another thing. So while I'm a little jealous of John, I'm also humbled because God looked and saw you and I. God looked and saw every other person that's ever walked the face of this earth, and He said, I'm going to inspire this one guy over here in this town that, that's really not going to do all that well. It's actually in Turkey today. Ephesus is, is a location in Turkey. But He's going to be over here in this town. He's going to have experienced a lot of things. But I'm going to have Him write these things so that 2,000 years later, insert your name here, will be able to read and know who I am and have a relationship with me. He looked and he saw you. He didn't look and just see people. He didn't look and just see Americans. He didn't look and just see the Jewish nation. He didn't look at, He just saw you. And said, so I'm going to write so that they will be able to read and know who I am and by believing in me, they will have life in my name. Man, that's good. That's why this book was written. And so as we study this book, 
You need to keep that in mind. We're reading and studying a book that was written so that you could believe. No matter what else you get out of, out of however many weeks or months it takes us to get through John, the sole purpose of this book being written is so that you can believe. That's it. I could stand up and preach a lot of things. I could, I could pull stuff out of, out of books and you can apply them in different ways. But at the end of the day, as we continue to walk our way through this book, it is there so that you can believe. That's good stuff. All right, so let's do, starting with John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in Him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. I want to stop for just a moment, and I want to, I want to tie something together here. As I, as I see you know, what's happened here in this school in Florida, and I reflect back on Columbine and what happened now so many years ago, and, I, and, and you read the stories of the young people that were given a choice to deny God or not. Darkness has continued to try to creep into our world. Darkness has continued to try to creep into various areas, places and things that we, we thought were safe, whether it's schools or whether it's churches or whether it's marriages or what, places that we expect to be safe places. The darkness has tried to creep in and overcome. But the light that shines in darkness, that light of Jesus Christ, the darkness cannot overcome it. That is a powerful message for our world today. Is that even though that there is more evil and more darkness that is spreading, but yet it will not overcome the light of Jesus Christ because He is greater. Because He is stronger. You can take and you can be in the darkest room without a shred of light. And you, you flick a match and light it up and it overcomes. In its smallness, it will overcome an element of darkness. But you take the light of Jesus Christ, the light of the world... And the brightness of it will shine and will overcome any darkness that attempts to come because the darkness will not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh, took up residence among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me because He existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from His fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side, He has revealed Him. 
he has revealed him. There's not any other book in the New Testament that contains this bold and clear of a theological opening. He establishes right from the beginning, Christ is both God and man, neither to the exclusion or the diminishing of the other. And he doesn't, he doesn't start off the book you know, saying, hey, grace to this church, and, and I want to I thank you all for reading my letter, and, and hey, uh, you know, how have you been doing lately, and all this. He comes out the gate and says, I want to talk about Jesus. I want to come out telling you who He is. I want to make sure you understand, because this book wasn't written in order to encourage you in the sense of, hey, I hope you're doing great. How's your mama? How's your daddy? How's your deadbeat cousin? You know, I don't know that you ever saw that one in the scripture. Um, not the deadbeat cousin. You did see where he kind of said, hey, you got somebody who's messing around with her stepmom and some stuff like that. But, but, but anyway, so moving on. But, but he doesn't come out with any of that. That's not, that's not his purpose. His purpose that he waits what we identify as 20 chapters later. It's just a long letter. His purpose is that you would believe. So what is he going to come out and talk about? He's not coming out first talking about himself either. God inspires some of the other writers of the New Testament to kind of give some background about themselves first. He gets to talking about himself here in a minute, but you know, you, you can read some of where Paul writes in Galatians, other places where he kind of comes out and says, hey, you guys want to know if I'm an apostle? Here's how I got the story. I didn't come from man. It came from God. Here's what happened. I didn't have to go see anybody after God called me to the ministry. You know, I waited all these years and I came to Jerusalem. See, he didn't go through any of that because he's not talking about himself. The gospel that's written by John is not really the gospel of John. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's just written by John as inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he comes out the gate with this clear and this bold theological opening. Christ is God. Christ is man. Neither one of those is at conflict with each other. That's his story. Here's how that kind of that looks. This was in my head as I kept reading some of this. My brain kind of thinks this way. I, I like to see the logical progressions in things. He, he basically says, Jesus was with God, because the Word, the Word is, is Jesus. He says, Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. God created all things, life and light are in Jesus. That's, that's a powerful thing, because we're going to see the further we go into this, how important that this idea of life and light. But he says, hey, Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. God created all things, therefore Jesus was part of creation by the way, the beginning of John is a mirror of the beginning of Genesis. Genesis says, in the beginning, God did this stuff. John says, in the beginning, the Word was with God, and it was God. It's a mirror because it's about creation. Jesus is part of that creative act because God is a creative God. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm going to get y'all fired up here. I'm fired up and studying about John now. I'm just going to tell you right now. God is a creative God. I, I mentioned this maybe a couple months back that there are times where what you're needing God to do in your situation is a creative miracle. You're needing God to do something that's creative because you're needing Him to restore something that is dead. That takes a creative miracle. 
That's not something where you just go, hey, this isn't too bad. We can inject it with a few vitamins, you know, and do some other stuff. It'll be okay. You know, some spirits of vitamin D. There ought to be a vitamin G, you know, God. And if it's only the, you know, the low milligrams, it'd be like a little G. <laughs> that was the best one I had for y'all today. It's the only one you're going to get. I'm so serious about John. That was the best one you're going to get out of me today. Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. God created all things. It's so important that we believe in creation. I can tell you this. If, if you want to... This is a side note. This one's free. If, if you want to understand what you probably need to know your spiritual position on, look at what the world is attacking. Because whatever the world is attacking is honestly something that, that Satan feels is necessary for him to go after the most. Marriage. It's important. It's the, it's the biblical representation that's given of our relationship to Christ, the bride and the bridegroom. So Satan is very much after that. Life in all the forms that, that he comes, whether it's people taking other people's lives in various different forms, all that stuff. Life is an important thing. Creation. It's been under attack for a long time. Why? Because if you don't believe that God created, then you won't believe that God can create something in your life today. He wants you to not believe these things. He wants these things to be an area of weakness because He knows that if God, who demonstrated even in the physical through Jesus' work on the earth, which, which we're going to see some, but, but if, if He was able to cause the dead to rise again, the lame to walk again, the blind to see again, the deaf to hear again, those who couldn't speak to speak, all of these things, then surely God can do a creative work in your life when you need something to happen. God God can choose. He has the power and the ability to do that. But if we don't believe that God created, then surely He can't create things now in our lives. Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. God created all things. And life and light are in Jesus. There's an interesting statement that's made in this passage. though. Although God created the world, the creation did not recognize Him when He came into the world. How about that? The God who created all the things that, that became present in our world, then He comes into the world and the world doesn't recognize Him. He had a specific people at that point in time. He had chosen a specific people to, to, to come and to work through. And then, but from the beginning, His plan, because He's all-knowing and all-seeing, His plan always was to then expand. But He had a chosen people to start with because He needed to establish His pattern. And so... He creates and he, and he has this chosen people and He's created all of the things that we see and He comes in the world and creation doesn't recognize Him and His own people don't recognize Him. His own people don't recognize who He is. Why did Jesus come though? This is the important thing. Why did Jesus come? In revealing God to us, He gave the opportunity for us to receive Him and thus gain the right to become children of God. Did you see that? Did you see that in, in the Scripture there? Let me, let me back up for you for just a second and, and see if uh, right here. But to all who did receive Him, He gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in His name. And here is such an important statement. Who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. 
I'm telling you, these first 18 verses, if you want to share the gospel with somebody, if you want to share with somebody about Jesus coming and what his purpose was, you can take them to John. Now, I know we got the Romans road and all that, and I love using that too. But if you want to help explain to people what is going on with Jesus, this first 18 verses of John will do that powerfully. What's so powerful about this statement of who were born not of blood or of the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God? Here's what's important. that It is not about your family status. It's not of blood. It's not about that you were born into a poor family or you were born into a rich family or you were born into a religious family or you were born into one that absolutely hated everything that had to do with anything with religion. It is none of those things. Your ability to become a child of God has nothing to do with the family that you were born into. It has to do with the family that He wants to make you be born into. It's not of the will of the flesh. So it's not of something that, well, you just got to have a strong enough will. You got to have a strong enough. It's not about that. This is all about God. If, if we had the ability to will ourselves to salvation, then it would not be about Jesus. He would have never needed to come and die. He would have never needed to come and, and to pay the price for us because we could have just willed our way there. And that's where so many religious systems struggle because it's all about you need to become better through your own will and through self-discipline and all of these things, acting on your own so that you will become more godlike. Where God comes along and says, you don't have the will to do that. But I do want you to have enough commitment that you'll surrender to me and allow me to do things in your life to help you grow and develop so that you can become more like me, God. But I'm going to help do that in you because I understand. I created you. You don't have the ability to do that on your own because it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit even, says the Lord. But I'm going to come and help you do that. I'm going to empower you to do that. I always reference us back to that verse where he talks about that that God has already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. It's there. It's there. He does the work. That's encouraging to me. It's not about my family bloodline. It's not about my will, but it's of God. That's what John wanted to make sure that we understood. Powerful, powerful. Warren Wiersbe actually made this statement. He says, Just as our words reveal our mind and heart, so Christ, who John 1 says is the Word, so Christ reveals the mind and heart of God to men. Think about it. The, you know, the Bible talks about it, says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this? They, they just spouted something off, and then they go, Oh, I didn't mean to say that. All right, if you have ever said that, raise your hand. All right, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I need to raise both hands, probably both feet. If I could get them off the ground, it'd probably be a sorry sight when y'all saw what happened if I tried to get both feet off the ground. And, but now here's the reality. Just ask yourself this. What you really meant was, I didn't mean to let that come out, right? Because they, they go, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean to say that. No, no, yeah, you're right. You didn't mean to say it. <laughs> you, you're absolutely right. You thought it. <laughs> It was in your brain. It came across. But, you know, it's that old thing of everything that comes up doesn't need to come out, right? And, and so what we're really, we're not saying, well, I didn't, oh, I, I didn't think that. That just, yes, you did. Yes, you did. I've been there. <laughs> we just said it. Our words, especially in moments where we don't, have a, we don't have time to think about it, sometimes that's the most revealing moment. You just, you say something, and it will, it will reveal 
your heart. It will reveal your attitude. It will reveal whatever it is. And that's hard for all of us, right? Because we get put on the spot with something. I had that happen a couple times this week, even in, in the workplace. Had some stuff where somebody asked me a question, and I was totally unprepared for the kind of question they were going to ask me. It was very specific. It was very direct. And, and that's one of those moments where you kind of stop, and you think, okay, I need to think through this for just a second. We've got to go fast because they, they don't let me take, hey, let me time out. Let me take 10 minutes. Let me, let me come back, you know. <laughs> and so in those moments, you'll really get a glimpse of, of what you got going on inside sometimes, what you've been thinking about something. Just as our words reveal our mind and heart, so Christ reveals the mind and the heart of God to men. One of the things that, as we got further into that, that I find so powerful is that it says that, that Jesus decided to come, and the actual statement in the HCSB translation says that he took up residence among us. And if you look at some various different translations, uh, it may say that Jesus came to dwell with us, or Jesus came to figurative to, to pitch his tent. We, we're all out here in these tents, and he said, you know what, I'm going to come pitch my tent right here beside you, Johnny. I'm going to come, Ken, I'm going to come right over here and I'm going to pitch my tent right, right here where you guys are because I want to hang out with you. That's really what Jesus was doing. He's like, look, I understand what's going on in this world and I understand what this world needs and I'm the lamb that's slain from the foundation of the world. Before the world ever came, this was going to have to happen. And so I'm willing to come and to, some translations say, establish a tabernacle with mankind. Think about when the, uh, back in the Old Testament, because we're over here now, John's writing after Jesus has been, and so he's now, you know, A.D. 90 to 100. Jesus is already, is already gone. Jesus is already gone back to the Father. He's already experienced the death, the resurrection, all this stuff. John's writing all this in the, over in what we term now the New Testament. But he knew that the people would understand this concept from a historical standpoint. Because when the Israelites were going through the wilderness and all that time, what, what did they have? They had a tabernacle. That, that there was very distinct um, definitions of how the walls were to be built, what they would be made out of, but it was mobile. I, when I read some of it, I'm, I'm wondering because, I mean, there's all kind of stuff that, that went into to building this tabernacle. But God gives very distinct uh, you know, instructions for what the walls are to be, how, how long stuff is to be, how tall it's supposed to be. He, he actually um, gave the skill to various different craftsmen so that they would be, they were basically anointed by the Holy Spirit with skill to be able to build this place for God to come and to tabernacle with them, to take up residence on this temporary basis. The amazing thing is that then we see that when we come over into the New Testament, that he no longer wants a tabernacle that is built with hands or any of that, but he now wants to take up residence inside our hearts. Where it used to be that we would have to go to him, he now has chosen to come to us. In fact, this is kind of how Jesus looked at it. In the condition that you are in, you cannot come to me. So I will come to you so that I can change your condition. Man, that's, I'm, I'm telling you, y'all going to get fired over that. I, I, that's just good. In the condition that you and I were in, we could not go to him because the, 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 the sin and the, 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 the evil that was in our lives and it corrupted us 
prevented us from being able to go to him. So instead of him sitting there and saying, well, hey, you know, it's just the way this goes. You guys can't get to me. I guess that's just too bad. You're not good enough. You can't do enough. You don't have enough straightened out. Instead, he says, since you can't come to me because of the condition that you're in, I'll come to you so I can change your condition. I think this is such an important thing for us to remember when we're going out into our communities and when we're, when we're trying to reach people for the gospel with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are not in a condition sometimes where that they would even seem to fit within, oh, sitting here and having a nice prim service, right? Let's just, let's just be real today. They might not be in a condition. They may be drunk off their feet. They may be struggling with all kinds of things. They may be having, having all kinds of issues in relationships and problems and conflicts and all this stuff. And sometimes if we're not careful, what, what people within the church world want to do is they want to get off into that mess and be more concerned with that than they truly are about ministering to people. And yeah, you've got to deal with some things that go on You got in the world. I mean, think about what's going on in these schools. You can't just say, well, you know what, that, that guy just needed Jesus right? You can't just say, well, that guy needed Jesus. You might have to take some actions to help protect people and to protect folks that are in schools and things like that, as much as we don't like to have to be there. But that doesn't mean that in doing those things that you don't care, and that doesn't mean in doing those things that you don't have a heart to love those folks, and you don't have a heart to help them and to minister to them and to grow them. There's a lot of folks, our, our, our teachers and stuff that are in schools, man, they don't have the qualifications nor the, nor the, the training to try to, to try to counsel someone like that or to try to take them and help someone like this, this young man, Mr. Cruz, that, that did what he did. They don't have the skills to do that. But you know what? For us as a community to be able to help them to identify how you can get someone. And then it's disappointing, isn't it? Is it not disappointing? I, I'm just going here for a moment because they're, they're, I, need to, I need to make a little bit of a larger point in something today. It's disappointing for us. Forget politics or anything like that. We all should be disappointed today that, that the police have been to this guy's house 36 times. I think was what I read today. And, and that the FBI had been notified about him and pictures had been seen about him. But there's people that get all up in a wad over the fact that if you went to take an action and try to protect people and say, hey, we may have to have a conversation about this because we've identified that this young man has some issues and we may have to tell people within the school that, hey, there's a concern. There's some issues that could be here. There's some, there could be some potential violence. There's people that get all in a wad over that. But yet today... And looking back at that situation, there's people going, why didn't somebody say something? Why didn't they tell those kids at that school? Why didn't they tell more of those teachers to know? That doesn't mean that you don't, that you don't care about someone or that you don't want to do ministry or that you don't want to reach people and love people because you also protect people. That stuff happens in churches. People get all in a wad. Because you may be going to have to have some, some awareness of things, particularly if you're going to minister into a community. And you're going to reach out into a community where there may be violence or there may be other things. And, but, but I guarantee you, just like this situation, if something happened, people look back and say, how come nobody knew? This is important. 
But Jesus set the example because he said, here's what I'm willing to do. I am willing to recognize that your condition needs a change for you to be able to get to me. So I will come to you and change your condition. I tell you, that's what our world needs to see. Our world needs to see out of us as believers. They need to see us willing to go to people that are having issues, that are having problems, that are experiencing things that that maybe doesn't look like coming in prim church. And say, I recognize that your condition and your situation is creating a gap between you and what God is wanting to do. So I want to be part of doing just like Jesus. And I want to come and help to bridge that gap so that we can help change your condition through the power of God and the Holy Spirit working in your life. Because we can't do it, but we can be used. We can be used. In fact, then we see this powerful statement at the end where John says, Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from His fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, that came through Jesus Christ. And he wasn't, he wasn't throwing shade on Moses, y'all. That wasn't what he was trying to do. He was not trying to cast some shade on Moses. Moses was not an answer. Moses was just a vessel. Jesus was an answer. Most of the rest of us say Jesus just brought the light right over here on this crew over here. All of a sudden that light just went, woo! I was like, I was pointing out, I was looking that way and it came on. I'm like, Jesus is the answer. (laughs) I want to be in the light as you are in the light. Moses was just like us. Moses was a vessel. I think that's one of the most powerful things that if we... Uh, in any position of leadership within the body of Christ, if we will so focus on making sure that people understand, pastors, evangelists, teachers, leaders in any form, we are not the answer. We are not the answer. We are vessels just like everyone else is a vessel. Jesus is the answer. He popped on. Every time I say Jesus is the answer, He comes up. I'm telling you, it blinked off and Jesus came back on. And so that's what he points out here. He says, hey, we have all received grace after grace. Here's the, I want you to get the mental image of what is happening here. So beginning at the, the first part of John 1, we see that, that, that Jesus was the Word and He's God. And then He came. And he, and he came for a purpose. He came so that we might believe on Him and we could see the Father and all this. And he says, in fact, here's the reality. We have all received grace after grace. It's kind of like... If, if we were sitting here, and I wish I had a bunch of money, you know, because I'd, I'd love to be able to do this for somebody today, but if I had a bunch of money, I'd do this. You know, it's kind of like if you, if you sat here and I said, Jason, I want you to come up here and I just want to bless you. And I, and I started taking, let's just do hundreds. I mean, since I don't have it, let's just go ahead and pretend anyway. You know, let's, I mean, we're not going to go crazy and do like $1,000, but let's go hundreds, you know. Hey, drop some Benjamins on you here today. Um, so, so I just start taking and go, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count you out these $100 bills. And he's just like, oh my goodness. And I'm just sitting here just, just shoop, 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 shooby doop, shoop, shoop. I'm just, I'm just dropping these hundred. And he's like, oh my word, oh my goodness. And he's thinking, when's that going to stop? Don't stop now. You know? and, and I'm just, and I just keep, and I just keep, and then I kind of, and then I kind of pause for a minute. And he goes, oh man, that is such a place. I go, ah, let's, let's do some more. Let's here, let's do some. And then I kind of stop and he goes, oh my goodness, that's like a double blend. And I go, no, let's do some more. Here, let's, we're just making them fly here. Make it rain. Make it rain. You know, I mean, we're just putting the money out here. And I just keep on doing. 
That's the mental image. He's saying you have received grace after grace after grace after grace. It's like it never stops because it is something that He is just pouring out because He loves you. He created you. He desires to have this relationship with you and He was willing to come and die in order that you might believe. He says, so the law came through Moses. The law, this school teacher, this thing that was supposed to lead you to recognize I'm sinful and and I need Christ. But when Christ came, grace and truth came through Him. I was reading those two words and grace in this context is that idea of unmerited favor. Truth is not just about something that's factually accurate, but it is also loyalty and trustworthiness. Is actually the way that that word was being used here. It says, He comes to bring you unmerited favor and He will be trustworthy in doing so. It's not just that He is the truth and He's right. He's truth and He does not fail. He brings you grace and says, I will bring grace to your life and I will not fail to continue doing so. Because in our lives, we're used to that if somebody does start dropping the hundreds and then it quits and it dries up. And they're done. Or maybe somebody makes a commitment to us and then we go along and and then we get down the road and and they kind of move on from that. And they're not faithful in that thing anymore. That's what we see in our world, whether it's marriages or relationships or jobs, whatever it is, we see this this thing where it kind of shifts and we kind of do something different. And, And God is proclaiming that Jesus is full of grace, unmerited favor. You didn't have to merit it. You can't merit it. He's giving it to you anyway. And He is true. True more in the sense of, for any of these guys, if you do some work with anything, you do some work on... I have guys that do some machining work and things like that. And you true something up. Because if it's got some run out, it's got some wobble. It's not true. But when you get that thing lined up, man, it's just consistent. It just sits there and it's true. It doesn't change. It doesn't move. It doesn't fluctuate around on you. And he says, he brings unmerited favor and he is true. He is rock solid. He doesn't move. He doesn't shake. He doesn't quake under the circumstances. He's not shocked by anything that's going on. He is that firm foundation. He is full of grace and He is true. And He said, here's the deal. To see and know Jesus is to see and know the Father. And I read this statement. I put it on here. It was was an explanation in one of the commentaries I was reading. And it said, here's what it looks like to see and know who Jesus is. He is one who loves sinners. He helps the weak. And He was accepting the outcasts and He received children and women. See, sometimes we're not as sensitive to this in today's day and age, although there are still many opportunities for for us as a society and other societies to move away from objectifying women, from abusing and from all these things. But if you went back into that society, it wasn't an idea about anybody voting. It wasn't about, not that they really had voting, but it wasn't about voting. It wasn't about owning, you can own property. You had all this stuff. Jesus came to make a change. Jesus came to let everybody understand that in Him, Salvation was not for this select group or that select group or your bloodline or your will or your gender or any of these things. He was going to love the sinner. He was going to help the weak. He was going to accept the outcast that other people... I mean, they were outcasts. That means they've been cast out 
People were shunning them. People didn't want anything to do with them. Jesus comes along and says, can I sit here beside you and talk? Jesus is going to sit at the well where the woman is. And he's going to say, hey, uh, I know you're out here at a weird time. This isn't what he said. I'm just, you know, but, but this is what was going on. I know you're out here at a weird time. And you're out here at a weird time because nobody in town likes you because of your lifestyle. But would you get me a drink of water? And she said, if you knew who I was, you know, you wouldn't be. And, and hey, we shouldn't be doing this. And the disciples come back and they're going, why are you talking, number one, to a woman? And why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? Mixed race. Why are, you, why are you doing those two things? Jesus came for when everybody else was wanting to cast you out. See, that ought to encourage you because in your life, if you get cast out of anything, if your family starts to have issues because you're following Christ, if the people on your job don't like, if all this stuff, if you're getting outcast, just understand that Jesus is the one who came to say, I'm going to come over here and sit beside you. Because if you're going to be outcast and people are going to shun you, I'm going to come over here and keep you company. Because I came to love sinners, help the weak, accept the outcasts, and receive those who had no rights. And I'm going to adopt you in, and you're going to become joint heirs with me, with Jesus Christ. And I have rights to everything, because I created it all. I'm going to preach here in a minute, I'm just telling you. And it brings us all the way back. If you come help me out. It brings us all the way back, though. To why John was written. We see this, all this stuff. We see this description in these first 18 verses of, of who Christ is and, and that he's God, but he becomes man and he comes so that we can believe all this stuff. And, and John 20 tells us, John 20 and verse 31 brings us all the way back. We're going to talk about this every single week as we're going through this, this study of John. All this stuff that's written about Jesus. I want to give you some of it again. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. By the way, the, the word that's used there about he was the phrase about he was with God. It it. I was reading several commentaries about how that the, the interpretation that they would have understood about it was as if he was face to face with him. It was describing how that he was distinct from, it, it describes the Trinity is what it's doing. He was distinct from the, the, the office of God the Father, but yet he was God. He was with God, but he was God. He was with him in the beginning and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that's been created. I don't care what anybody says to you. I want you to hear me. I, I, I just, Holy Spirit, just, I want you to hear this this morning. I don't care what anyone says to you about who you uh, can be or can't be or whatever else. God made you. God has a purpose for the child that has Down syndrome. God has a purpose. For the child that has mental limitations. God has a purpose. Because God created you. And God doesn't make junk. Yeah, we know that, that, that by Adam's sin and sin coming and death and decay coming into the world. That it has created effects of illness and sickness and all of these things that happen. But you are not what you are on the outside. That's where man looks, is what the Word says. 
God looks on the inside. God looks on the heart. God has made you to be an eternal being. This body that you're in, it's going to pass away. This corruptible will have to put on incorruptible. But the person that you are, who you are, the inner man, that's what God has created to last for eternity. It doesn't matter what anyone says about who you can't be or whatever else. God created you and He has a purpose. He has a plan. Life was in Christ and that life was the light of men. It shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Let's be honest, there are times where you're in the middle of your life and life seems dark. There are moments, it may just be in a given day, depression, whatever comes your way, and it seems dark. There may be things that happen, there may be events that are they're long-lasting, they have, a, they have a permanent impact in this life, and it seems dark. But I would encourage you with this out of John. Jesus is the light, and the darkness cannot overcome him. John wrote these things, inspired by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that you may believe. And in believing about who Jesus is, that you can have life. And the Bible says he came that you might have life, and have it what? More abundantly. And so we're in this big idea moment for this sermon. And it's simply this. Have you believed? 